Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Self-sabotage can show up in any relationship with your partner, boss, friend, or the one that hurts the most, a relationship with ourselves. When you self-sabotage, you're holding yourself back from the person you want to be. And so today I'm going to teach you why you self-sabotage, the surprising ways it can show up that you didn't even realize, and my four-step process for stopping the sabotage and creating connection and trust in all your relationships. So you got to keep listening. Dr. Abby Metcalf, and I'm a psychologist, number one Amazon bestselling author, TEDx speaker, and all-around relationship maven. With over 30 years of experience helping people create connection, joy, and ease in all their relationships. What's my secret? Well, besides being totally hilarious, I help you think differently so you can approach your relationships in a completely new way. I'm the best deal in town because the tools I teach apply to all your relationships, which allows you to simplify your life and find the confidence, calm, and deep love you've been craving. Combining my hands-on experience and all the latest research, I've created actionable tips and tools you can apply quickly and easily to create lasting change in all your relationships today. So let's get to it. Well, there you are. Hello, it's Abby. It's me. I'm here. So this is a podcast that's been long in the making. I've had so many clients over the year years have this issue, and it is uh, something that a lot of you wrote in about. Um, my business manager was mentioning it would be a good topic, and so I felt like, got to do it. Um, and uh, before we jump in, as always, I, you know I sponsor my own podcast so that you don't have to sit here and listen to commercials every 10 minutes. And uh, today I'm going to talk about my next book. I'm doing a whole book on how negative thinking sucks, and not in a good way. 
Uh, and so that book will be out hopefully real soon. And if you want to get on the wait list, you can, I'll link to it in the show notes and you can come on over and get yourself on the wait list to be the first to know. And I might even be having some special bonuses for people that get on the wait list. Uh, not might, I'm sure I will. So <laughs> come on over, check it out. You know, it's going to be good. You know, I give the good stuff. And if you haven't bought my current book yet, uh, be happily married, even if your partner won't do a thing, number one Amazon bestseller, then what are you waiting for? You can buy it uh, anywhere you buy books, uh, definitely on Amazon. And you can get it on Audible and digitally and every every which way but loose. So there you go. <laughs> All right. Let's jump into self-sabotage. Now, first I want to say what it is exactly. I, I find that people aren't really even aware that something they're doing is self-sabotage, and I am going to give you some surprising ways it shows up in a minute. But So if you self-sabotage, it means you have uh, thought patterns and behaviors that stop you from doing what you say you want to do. That's it. And, you know, reaching your goals and dreams. This is what stops it. The So... The, and these are limiting beliefs. I talk a lot about limiting beliefs. These are, you know, beliefs you hold that are limiting you. And they basically show up in two, two ways. Most are, the first way is that most are unconscious. So you don't even realize you're acting from them. Uh, you know, you, you might be a big procrastinator and not realize that that's actually a sign of self-sabotage and a, a deeper problem than just, oh, I'm always late. Or the second way is you consciously know that what you think, you know, you know what you think, but you believe your thoughts are a fact. So you haven't even thought to change them. You haven't realized that they're self-sabotage. A common example I see would be thinking uh, it's a fact, let's say that you uh, really can't trust men. They're dogs. You can't trust them. And maybe you've had a lot of interactions with men that all prove your theory. So it becomes something like, you know, grass being green. It's just is, it's a fact. But, and because of this belief, all your interactions with men are through that lens and you keep proving yourself right. And this is something that we do called a confirmation bias in psychology. So uh, it is, which is its own problem, but it, so it becomes a form of self-sabotage because you, you think it just is and don't realize that you're sabotaging yourself. All right, but let's talk about the why. I get asked this the most. So why do I self-sabotage, Abby? What, why am I doing that? Well, there obviously are many reasons people self-sabotage, but to me, they all break down to one thing, which is protection. Your brain believes that whatever behaviors you're doing, self-sabotaging behaviors you're doing, are protecting you from some kind of emotional hurt. So you end up really avoiding what I call true intimacy, which is that real emotional closeness, that vulnerability with yourself and, of course, other people which, and that is what protects you. If you're not truly close to someone, your emotional brain thinks you can't get hurt if you don't really let them in fully, if you don't really let them see all of you. And, and, and you might be listening right now going, but I want to be close to someone. That's all I'm trying to do. Well, I can tell you that the proof is in the pudding. If you're not close to others or a partner or whoever, or if you're not really finding people you can fully trust with all of you, it's because you have some unconscious belief that it's dangerous to do that. No matter what your conscious brain is telling you, you think you want or you want, it, you know, your actions are driven so much by your unconscious or your subconscious that it's 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 happening. I'm sorry, sweetie, but it is. So I'm going to help you with it today. We're going to fix this today, but just know what it is. Uh, in so in general, self-sabotaging 
these are behaviors that, as we say in psychology, they're maladaptive patterns uh, from childhood. And what that really means, a maladaptive pattern means it's a, you know, it's a, it's a yucky thing you started doing. So you were emotionally hurt in some ways as a child and you created behaviors, you started doing behaviors to protect yourself. That's what it was. And the deal is that these behaviors, they morph as we grow into adults, which is why it's so hard to pinpoint where they came from. I have so many people who come in, I had a good childhood, my parents were married, I was treated really well, why am I self-sabotaging? Well, it doesn't, and this is the hardest thing I think for a lot of people, it it, my parents were married. You know, my, I had great a great family. My parents were married, and I certainly have <laughs> had a lot of self sabotage, as we know. You know, recovering drug addict and God knows what else. <clears throat> so, what happens is who you are as a kid, and how you interacted in that family, your temperament that you were born with, who you came, how you came into the family. Maybe you were the fifth kid. Maybe you're the first kid. You know, it's it's all these variables come together so that even though the parents are parenting each kid maybe the same or similarly, your temperament, who you are as a person, it and maybe how your siblings acted or whatever, it didn't hit you the same way it hit others. And that's why in a family, you can have some people who, you know, are super successful, some people who end up not successful or, you know, drug addicts and not drug addicts and all kinds of things, right? You can end up with all kinds of things, but it's really so much to do with who you are. And it, it's not something wrong with you or anything else. And it doesn't mean we, we're not about blaming parents. That's not what I ever do on the podcast. So don't even think that. However, it is about explaining things. So it's not blame, it's explaining. So you can understand why you are the way you are. So, and I would say that like all of this comes from something called our attachment styles and specifically these maladaptive behaviors, these, these bad uh, patterns we got into are really from insecure attachment styles. And I did a whole podcast on this. I'll link to that in the show notes. How attached are you to your partner? I think I called it. But it's really all about attachment styles. Um, and even if you know something about it, you might like to listen to this podcast. But if, so if you self-sabotage at all, if you relate to any of this, I, I actually really need you to go back and, and listen to that one. There's always a corresponding blog post if you'd rather not listen and want to read. But it it would be super important to to listen, but I will just say quickly here. So I'm not going to leave you high and dry about these attachment styles, these insecure attachment styles, that your attachment style is the way, basically what it is, it's the way you learn to deal with relationships. Okay. It is, which it, but it stems from your early childhood relationship with, or relationships with whatever caregivers you had. Okay. Whoever that could be a parent or one parent or both, or, you know, could have had a foster parent or sibling, whoever it was. Um, and there's basically, there's secure attachment and there's insecure attachment. And there's basically two types of insecure attachment styles. So there's an anxious attachment style and people who are anxiously attached, you guessed it, they're anxious in their relationships. <laughs> they often, they need a lot of reassurance usually. They can be clingy, controlling, jealous, all those things. Again, I say a lot more in the podcast, but, um, and it's this anxiety that stops others from truly getting close there, you know, and from the person from really getting close to other people. Uh, cause there's just all this fear. And then the other insecure attachment style is avoidant attachment 
which uh, and they avoid getting too close or relying too much on any on anyone else. And but it's for different reasons. And they've learned really what happens in the end is they learn to be self sufficient and not need anyone else. So they avoid intimacy and true emotional closeness too. And again, there's a ton on this podcast. Please go listen. I don't think I'm usually pushing so hard, but it's a big one if this is an issue for you. Okay. So, but let me give you an example. I really want to drive this home of how an unhealthy coping skill in your childhood grew into an unhealthy coping skill in your adulthood, a self-sabotaging behavior in your adulthood that you don't realize and you don't realize they're connected. This is why it's so hard. So let's say you felt insecure as a child due to some kind of negligent parenting. Again, for you, doesn't mean you had negligent parents, but for you, you needed more, you needed different, whatever, your particular, right? Uh, secret sauce was different. And so you felt neglected in some way. And because you couldn't always count on your parents to comfort you, you self-soothed by, let's say, sucking your thumb. And you, you, you kept sucking your thumb until you were about eight years old, at which point you'd been getting a lot of, probably a lot of criticism, right? You're too old to suck your thumb. Maybe you even got shamed even worse about sucking your thumb, which, you know, really got it bad. So, you know, it's deemed inappropriate, right? You can't suck your thumb at that age. That's crazy. And so you're getting all this negative, negative feedback. And so now you need to find something new to soothe yourself because you were using the thumb sucking as a way to self-soothe, right? So... You got to find some new and it's going to be external, right? It's going to be some external source of comfort. So you, maybe you turn to food. That would be, if you're eight years old, something you could probably do. Now, and maybe you started to gain weight, which increased, by the way, this internalized shame because now people maybe are teasing you or something else is happening. You And as you gain weight, maybe in, into your early, you know, maybe at till 12 years old, you're still using food as a comfort, 13, 14, and maybe, you know, someone rejects you romantically because of your weight or a friendship group, you m- might've gotten rejected because of your weight or teased, any of that. And so now you're moving into your teen years and you're thinking, I got to lose this weight. I can't be, you know, I don't want to do that. So uh, and you're not consciously realizing you're using food to soothe yourself. That's not something a you know 13-year-old is thinking. But you think, well, what other external source can I use to comfort myself? Ta-da! You know, drinking, smoking pot, right? Something out there would come in. Sex, all kinds of things could come in to externally soothe. But let's just say drinking. Let's use that. So, and the drinking works for a long time. You you might make friends, you go out, you find this new ability to socialize, you're able to calm your nerves, you're able to be cool, in with the kids, whatever. But as you get older, you begin to drink more and more often and it becomes a problem. Let's say now you're in your 20s and it's a problem at work or in your relationships, but you keep drinking. You keep going despite these kind of negative consequences that start coming at you. You sabotage jobs, uh, relationships, and, you know, it's all happening. And you tell yourself, oh, my God, I should stop drinking, but you just aren't, quote, unquote, able to. And now, let's say now you're 40 years old, and if someone asked you, hey, why do you have a drinking problem? Why are you an alcoholic? I doubt your first answer would be because I didn't feel safe and secure with the way my parents loved me when I was three years old. Correct? And again, you might not remember that. You probably have no recollection of being three. A lot of this is pre-verbal or things that we don't remember, but we do remember. You know, our, our brain, again, starts to adapt to these things. So 
And this is why it's often so difficult to give a why for your self-sabotage. Your coping skills have morphed and changed since you were a kid. So it's, it's really hard to follow the thread backwards. And it's also why I don't often spend a lot of time on this stuff because it's very hard to unpack, even when you think you do know what the reason, quote unquote, was. Uh, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, okay, I suck. my parents were a little negligent. I don't, you know, there's only so much you can do with the information and you can't even be sure you were right. So it's really gets weird. And I, I would say my clients consistently want to know why. And it's hard for me to get them off of that. But the whole wanting to know why and being so focused on why is its own avoidance. You're not dealing with the fact that it is, and you just want to keep going back, back, back and avoiding dealing with the pain in the present. And so that, you know, just watch that. I'm not saying you shouldn't go back and look at things. I do it all the time with clients. But if that's the only thing you're spending time on, that's when it becomes a problem. So, and of course, right? So of course, along with these negative and unhelpful patterns of behavior, we end up with negative and damaging thoughts and beliefs. There you are. Your three-year-old didn't have, uh, you know, adult thinking or reasoning. They only knew they felt unsafe and scared. And again, you might not relate to that now. And it doesn't mean it wasn't true then. So, and so as that little person got older and they started to think there was something wrong with them or their parents would have loved them the way they needed older still, right? So, and that person keeps getting older. That person starts to feel that really not worthy of anyone's love or praise. And deep down they think if they, you know, if they really knew me, you know, this, my partner wouldn't love me. If they really understood what I was thinking, nobody would think I was okay. Everybody would hate me. And so once again, these low feelings of self-esteem, you know, low self-esteem in adulthood are often hard to trace back because so much of what happened to our little psyches were before our brains were developed and before we could think critically and rationally. Of course, you know, your brain's not developed to your mid to late 20s so fully. So it's really, again, really hard to pinpoint this stuff. But in the end, you probably end up with unconscious beliefs about relationships that creates self-sabotage. You, you know, maybe you assume they won't last. You assume that they'll always fail. So you Maybe you jump on problems and make them bigger. You drama, right? Everything's a big, big, big deal. Uh, everything is proof that your partner doesn't really love you. Uh, you maybe you assume the other person's going to abandon you, so you always leave them first. Or maybe you assume the other person will try to control you, so you feel suffocated or trapped, and you leave. You know, and that's why you keep leaving relationships. You're always the one to leave. So, I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It, 
often self, you know, really now that I'm thinking about it, really self-sabotage can boil down to your need to control a situation. Uh, feelings for others uh, or taking risks at work makes you feel unsafe, something like that. You feel unsafe by it. So you could create control in this negative way. It's only when you feel like you're in full control that you feel safe, even though, of course, that control doesn't, feeling doesn't last long. And of course, you're self-sabotaging yourself on the way and it becomes a vicious cycle. Then you end up feeling crappier about yourself and here we, we're off to the races, right? Who would love me? I'm not worthy of love, blah, blah, blah. <sighs> I know, it's exhausting. So let me talk about some of the ways before we jump into what to do that self-sabotage shows up because it shows up in a bunch of ways that, again, you might not recognize as self-sabotage. So it's important to know the signs. I'm just going to briefly, you know, move through these before we get on to what we should do. So criticizing or picking fights with others all the time, you know, if you're impossible to please uh, and your partner eventually gives up trying or just breaks up with you, or it's your first day at your new job and you've got something negative to say about everyone, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, that's, it's a, it's often a, a sign of self-sabotage, uh, cheating in some way, browsing dating sites, following busty women on Instagram. If your partner doesn't like that, flirting with a coworker, having a physical relationship or an emotional relationship with someone else, they're all ways that really what you're doing is keeping your options open. So consciously or, or unconsciously, it doesn't really matter, but so you can avoid emotional closeness and hurt. That's what you're doing. You're putting something in between the relationship because it feels so unsafe. Again, consciously, you probably don't realize any of that, but that's the self-sabotage. Um, the third way it shows up a lot are any of the self-harm behaviors, you know, uh, are, so it could be, um, abusing drugs or alcohol, binging, purging, eating poorly, staying up too late, not taking care of yourself, you know, all of these things, anything that's sort of harming yourself or undermining your mental or physical health, uh, is a sign. I would say perfectionism is the next one I notice a lot. Sky high expectations and all this perfectionism and all that anxiety around it, are really ways that you self-sabotage yourself. Uh, oh, jealousy, paranoia, that's another one. You, you know, maybe you're worried that your partner is seeing someone behind your back or that Jane at work is out to get you fired. You know, you become like a control freak and demanding with your partner, with your boss about getting rid of Jane. You want to see your partner's emails and their texts and their passcodes. And, you know, you're getting yourself all in a tizzy. Uh, it's so self-sabotaging. It's such BS. It's, it's really nothing about what's real, but right. You're avoiding closeness. You don't want to risk yourself. You don't want to appear the fool. You don't want to, you know, even though who cares, but you care because no one else does. It's not about what other people think of you and any of that. It's that being super self-conscious and wanting other people to think certain things or act a certain way. Very self-sabotaging. Uh, rages, anger, resentment, those kind of feelings, you know, holding a grudge or staying resentful is definitely a way of protecting yourself by pushing away other people. Your anger pushes away other people. Your resentment puts a big, drives a huge stake in the middle of things. So as long as you're mad, no one can really get close to you. And as long as they don't know when you're going to get mad or when you're going to blow up, right? Same thing. Self-sabotaging. Uh, another thing I see a lot is people tearing themselves down. That's obviously self-sabotaging. You know, what's wrong with me? I'm always this. I can never this. Uh, I'm a big fat pig. I look disgusting. You know, you, you put your low self-esteem out there. It's almost like you're daring your partner to break up with you or for others to put you down or whatever. It's crazy. But obviously that's self-sabotaging. I mean, you don't need to point out anything. And it's, it's not, you know, it's not nice. It's really not nice. Uh, 
let me just do a couple more. Um, oh, procrastination. I mentioned that earlier. Procrastination is absolutely self-sabotaging. You know, you put off doing that report for work <laughs> because you, and this could be unconscious or conscious. You don't think you know what you're doing maybe. It might be unconscious that you think that. Uh, by doing it at the last minute, you don't give it your best. So if you fail, there's an excuse and you get, a, you know, and that gives you that feeling of control again over the situation. Oh, you know, you'll, you're deciding when you'll do something, but often you'll cut off your nose to spite your face, right, in these situations. But that procrastination or, um, you know, not wanting to risk being told no or that you didn't get the promotion, so you you sabotage so you never have to feel uh, rejected or abandoned or anything like that, right? So procrastination often will be, you know, doing poorly at work or showing up late to things or not returning texts or, you know, not returning emails to your boss or something. It's, it's a way of sabotaging. Okay. And then I would say the last one I really want to point out is, and I see a lot with self-sabotage, is trouble stating your needs. When you consistently don't say what you need, you're likely self-sabotaging. So not only will you ruin relationships and jobs and everything else this way, it's it's yet another way to guard yourself from hurt. If I don't say what I want, they can't reject me, right? That's really what you're doing. But trouble stating your needs because you don't feel worthy, it's all related to self-esteem, but it is also all related to sabotage, uh, self-sabotage, totally. Okay, so you're sitting there, you're like, what the heck, Abby? Now what do I do? <laughs> so I have a, a, a really quick little process here I'm going to go through. Ready? So step one is to be mindful. Yeah, yeah, I'm giving it to you again. You, I, you can't change anything unless you notice it first. I don't know what else to say. I wish I had another answer, but I don't. I have so much on mindfulness. So <laughs> if you're not being mindful and aware in a moment of how you're feeling in a moment, you won't be able to stop self-sabotaging thoughts or behaviors. You're not gonna. So, and again, many roads. I really think meditation is the best, uh, but mindfulness itself is great. I will link to it in the show notes. I'm gonna offer you, I have a meditation starter kit where you just start with three minutes a day to meditate. It's awesome. People love the starter kit. I highly recommend it. Um, I'll link to it in the show notes, but you know, come on, you got to get mindful. You got to get aware of your feelings in a moment if you're ever going to stop what's going on. Okay. So you have to be able to separate that out. All right. Step two then is to identify your feelings. Now, you know, now that you're aware, okay, so here I am, I'm noticing, <laughs> I'm aware, and you're seeing yourself in a moment and you're watching someone, maybe your boss talking to you and you're realizing that you're feeling really defensive and you're about to snap it at her and, you know, you're getting all caught up. And, you know, if you're mindful, you would notice it and go, wow, why am I so upset right now? What is going on? You know, what what is this reaction I'm having? And you would it really go in and it's like, wow, I'm, I'm I'm angry, that's obvious, but what else is here? And I will say this, that depending on how entrenched your self-sabotaging behavior is, you know, if you just immediately like flash on your boss or coworkers or something all the time and you're sabotaging your reputation and your chances for advancement, your chances for getting picked on a team or whatever, it's uh, that's some entrenched, you know, sabotaging behavior. You my, in my experience, people have initially have a very hard time identifying any feelings other than numb, nothing. Well, I don't know. It was, just, it was nothing. I, I don't know. I wasn't feeling anything that or angry. 
I was pissed. I was angry. I was resentful. I was, you know, furious. I was rageful. Those, those seem to be the only two. But I want to just say this again, and I've said this before. Identifying feelings is a skill. It's a skill. And like any other skill, the more you do it, the better you'll get. Really, I swear. I promise. Girl Scouts honor. I, it, it will. And in like any other skill, you wouldn't expect to be amazing at it first time out of the gate. You're not going to play tennis like Serena Williams if you've never stepped on the court. So if you're, this is your first round figuring out how you're feeling, you're going to suck at it at first. It's okay. Give yourself a break. The key really, when you ask yourself how you're feeling. And if your answer is, well, nothing or good or fine or whatever, or angry, you know, just those kind of what we call top emotions or, or not identifying any emotion, the key, just to ask yourself very lovingly, what else am I feeling? What else am I feeling? So, okay, I'm angry. What else is here? And when you start to dig down, believe it or not, that simple question will also bring, will often bring you there. It's incredible. And I think, I have to say, I think it's very helpful to have a list of feelings you can choose from, you know, to kind of prime the pump a bit. I used a feeling list forever when I was first trying to figure out feelings. And there's a really great list I use from the Hoffman Institute that I refer my clients to all the time. And I will be the love bug that I am. And I will link to that in the show notes. So come on over to abbymedcalf.com forward slash show notes. No, forward slash podcast, sorry. And go to, this is episode 130. And just go over and I'll link to it right there, this feeling list. And I really like this list, especially because they have um, how it might show up in your body. So sometimes you don't notice how you're uh, feeling emotionally, but you might notice that your chest always gets tight or your stomach gets upset or, you know, you're, you start tapping your legs or something else. So um, it's really great. You can, uh, you can find your way to your feeling through that too. And so, but what I really want you to do with this feelings stuff, identifying your feelings is I, I kind of want you to, you know, carry around a little notebook with you for a few days, maybe three. I'd say a week would be amazing. If you do it for three, I'd love it. Or you can use the notes app on your phone, whatever you want, and track how you feel over the course of a day. Just track how you feel as much as you can, as often as you can. You can set a reminder on your phone for every three or four hours or something and just check in with how you feel. You can do it before you transition into the next thing you're doing, however that is. And, you know, and what you're going to do, if you can, is also tracking what might be happening at that time. Oh, whenever I talk to my boss, I, you know... I get anxious or I notice that whenever I'm transitioning in the day, I start to feel something, whatever. So, you know, you'll start to really notice that. And I will tell you this, it's so important to track, to really do this because when you track something, it, when you want to change something really, you want to track it. If, you know, uh, if you want to uh, lose weight, start tracking what you eat in a day. You want to save money? Start tracking what you spend in a day. Want to change self-sabotaging behavior? Start tracking how you feel in a day. It's going to work. I'm telling you. It's, it's really amazing. Um, so that's what I want you to do. And then step three is where you start identifying your thoughts. Now you have this feeling, right? Now you're seeing that whenever you have to, I don't know, interact with your boss, you get anxious, your stomach gets queasy, or you're noticing that you crave a drink when you're feeling resentful with your partner, something like that. So tracking these feelings in and of itself, I want to say this, will often change the game for you. Maybe you're realizing for the first time that you even feel resentment when your dad, you know, with your dad or, or anxiousness when someone compliments you. So congr congratulations, great job. But again, it's time to take it a step further because we're looking to identify those thoughts. And remember, again, we feel the way we think. So 
For that, you're going to ask yourself questions about those feelings you've tracked to uncover what's really going on so you can change it. Um, and again, you know, you could just try to go right after your your thoughts, but in my experience with self-sabotaging behavior, it's very hard. So many of them are unconscious, so it's very hard to uncover. So that's why I have it in this order where, because it might seem odd. Well, if I feel the way I think, I just have to see how I feel, right? No, or how I think, right? No, I want you to actually go through the feelings first because that's the thing you'll notice first. And from there, you can backtrack. That's what we're going to do. And so, you know, and again, take the time, identify those thoughts. And so you're going to ask yourself, really what I want you to do is ask yourself questions about these feelings you've tracked to uncover what you're really thinking. That's kind of how you do that. Um, and I will say, I'm not a great journaling person. You know, lots of people love to journal. I'm not great at this, but I highly suggest you journal these answers. I think it will really help you. Um, again, you can do it in your head, but it's not going to get you there like actually writing it down will. Um, or you can go to a therapist and discuss it there, but you got to really work it out. You got to get out there with it. And the kinds of questions are, you know, there's things like, um, you know, do I get uncomfortable when things are going well or when I'm successful? What, am I, what are my thoughts about success? You know, I wonder, you know, what am I thinking? Don't ask yourself why you do it. Ask yourself, what am I thinking that I'm uncomfortable when people compliment me? Uh, do I focus mostly on the positive or the ne negative aspects of other people? Or you can get really specific. Do I focus more on the, on the positive or negative in my partner or my boss or whoever, right? My mom. Uh, again, and then kind of answer that. Huh, I wonder where what I'm thinking that I'm always looking at the negative. What, what am I assuming is going to happen? What do I'm thinking about that? What do I feel about that? You know, just start to explore it a little bit, gently, gently. Um, do I only feel good when someone tells me I'm good? Is the, what are the ways that I feel successful, that I feel like I've done a good job? When I do, you know, when I feel close to people, I, you know, something like that. Do I often look back at something and realize I overreacted or wonder why I got so upset? You know, that these are the things. And I would say if you do nothing else, you can do this. I always, and then as a writing prompt and do that and see what comes up, I never, whatever comes up, or one of my favorite, I'm always, very different than I always. Um, if you use those three writing prompts, you will definitely get some ideas about your thoughts and why you're feeling the way you are. They're they're kind of kind of badass. Um, and so, so tracking your feelings and related thoughts, it, what it's going to do, so you're tracking your feelings, your thoughts, it's going to help you identify your triggers, which is really good. I did a whole podcast on triggers, so I'm not going to get into that now, but you know, triggers are really important to identify. And then the last step, step four is to change the game, right? As you begin to uncover and begin to under, really understand all these feelings and thoughts, you can finally begin to change them. That's how that happens because you're going to start to uncover these things you didn't even realize you thought. Uh, and you can choose new actions, new, you know, ways of being. You can choose to think differently about a situation and ask yourself some deeper questions. So if you, for example, I get this one a lot that, you know, my partner doesn't have my back. You know, they weren't defending me with this group of people who are picking on me or they, um, they, I, they were disagreeing with me. Something I said that was really important to me. So they don't have my back. I hear this a lot. Um, and you could ask yourself, why do I think it's my partner's job to have my back? Why don't I have my own back? And why isn't that good enough? Is it, is it possible my partner does have my back, but they express it in ways I'm not noticing? 
What else could be true about how my partner feels about the situation? Do you see where we're going here? This is how we change the game. This is how we, what you want to do is kind of assume you're wrong. And if you were wrong, what else would you be thinking? What else could, where else could you go? Um, You know, ultimately to change the game, you know, if you really want to do that, you you just have, I hate to say it, but I'm going to say it. You need to take full, yes, full responsibility for your life and everything in it. So no more blaming other people, no more waiting for them to rescue you, reassure you, give you a compliment, fix an issue by standing up for you, whatever. None of that. It means it's time to start seeing these things as a you issue, not a them issue. So with every situation, think about how you can take responsibility to see the situation differently or a person through a different lens where you're not a victim, where you don't blame and where you're not counting on others to be a certain way for you. It's all about you being a certain way for you. It's all about you feeling confident and secure and loving yourself no matter what. That's really what this comes down to. And that is how you change the game. And I know these steps can seem subtle, but, uh, they're they're not. <laughs> I mean, they are, but they're not. They really do. Once you do them in this order, you will find that they work. You'll be like, oh my gosh, yeah. Like when I do this, I really start to open up this thinking. So if you're sitting there right now thinking, well, I don't understand how I'm suddenly going to understand all my unconscious motives or all my unconscious thoughts, you will. If you do the tracking, you know, if you go back, if you do it in this order I'm giving you, you'll be amazed. And if you're willing, you have to be willing. You know, I can't help you if you're not willing. And I think you're willing because you're sitting there listening to me right now right here till the very end. (laughs) So, and again, I want to really, really highly recommend you come over and get my meditation starter kit and start doing that for three minutes every morning, just three minutes. It doesn't take that long and really start incorporating that into your life. So you can, because again, without that being able to notice yourself in a situation, notice what's going on, it's going to be hard to change. I will say if you don't do that part and you can start with just tracking your feelings, you will be able to get there also. It might not be as quick, but you'll definitely be able to get there. So uh, if you don't do meditation, don't feel like, oh, I can't do the rest. None of it's going to matter. It absolutely will because when you're checking in with yourself during the day, let's say you set the reminder on your phone for three times a day, you're, you're being mindful. You're doing it. You're doing what I'm asking you to do. So you're going to get there either way. All right. That is it for today. Woo, that was a lot, right? It was good. I hope it was good stuff for you. I love, you know, giving you this information. I really want you to stop self, stop the self-sabotage. If you have any comments, I'd love to hear them. You can email me at abby at abbymedcalf.com. Again, or if you have a great idea for a future podcast, some, some topic you want covered, I would love to hear about it. That's it. I love you. I adore you. Have patience with yourself. Have compassion with yourself. And I'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast with wonderful me, Dr. Abby Metcalf. And I've got two quick things to say. Just give me one more minute. First, I love spending this time with you and I work hard to make sure every single episode is going to help you move from any feelings of frustration or resentment or anxiety to that connected, hopeful, confident. That's always my goal. So if you have any ideas for a future episode or just want to say hi, let me know what the podcast is doing for you. Anything, you can email me at abby at abbymedcalf.com. How simple is that? And the second thing I want to say is if you like the podcast, you're going to go crazy, crazy for my book. My book is really good. I'm really proud of it. 
You can find it on Amazon or on my website under the shop section on my website at abbymetcalf.com. It's called Be Happily Married, Even If Your Partner Won't Do a Thing. And even if your partner will do a thing, the book will still really help you. So that's it. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.